thank you so much to everyone for joining today. As I've been saying, it's really bittersweet to have this interview because it's the last one of this series and it feels like literally very shortly we had started the series and it's already wrapping up. But I feel really grateful because we have Molly here today and Molly is a fantastic woman and I feel really privileged to interview her. We're doing a 40 minute Q&A followed by a 20 minute Q&A from the audience. So the first 40 minutes I'll spend asking Molly questions and kind of getting an understanding of her background, her interests, her career and everything and anything. And then the last 20 minutes, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat and we will make sure to get to them. So with that, I just want to start by asking Molly, tell us about Alma. You are the founder and editor of Alma. What is Alma and what kind of content is shared? Um, yes. So first of all, thank you so much, Margarita, for having me in this series. And I'm really excited to talk to you all. Um, so my short answer is that Alma is a Jewish culture website heyalma.com. Um, our tagline is Jewish, feminist, and full of chutzpah. Um, and my sort of longer <laughs> answer is that we're also beyond just a website. I'd say we are an online community um, for, for Jews. And uh, we sort of, we launched three, almost exactly three years ago from 70 Faces Media, which is a Jewish media company based in New York City. And um, we've definitely, in those three years, we've, we've expanded a lot and we've also shifted focus a lot. Um, so if you knew us, maybe when we first launched during the first year and a half or so, we considered ourselves a website for Jewish millennial women specifically. Um, and we've sort of, um, after a certain point, sort of took stock and realized that we had many, many people beyond just Jewish millennial women who were reading us and who were relating to the content we were putting out. So we've, um, we now consider ourselves, you know, for all people, all, all genders and um, all ages, definitely still with a target towards the younger demographic. And um, we even have some high schoolers and college students who, who write for us, which is amazing. And I, I never expected that to happen. Um, but yeah, and, and then as far as what we, what we run on the website, it's a pretty wide mix of um, pop culture, politics, news, um, arts, books, uh, pieces about identity, and everything we do is, is through the Jewish lens. So it's looking at um, you know, Jewish characters and pop culture and critiquing them or praising them or talking about how they, you know, relate to our own experiences. It's um, essays by queer Jews about how their two, um, you know, how their queer identity and their Jew Jewish identity oversect, uh, overlap. There's, um, you know, a lot of responses to things going on in the news, um, again, always through that Jewish lens. So, you know, of course, like talking like specifically about um, moments of anti-Semitism and, you know, in the past few years, we've seen a lot more of that. And that's unfortunately had to become a lot more of our coverage, but it's also looking at um, bigger kind of moments in, in the zeitgeist in the world and kind of finding that, that Jewish lens to them. And a lot more than that. I can't list all of our topics because we really do a lot of holidays, food, like we, we, we really, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's the kind of the whole diverse Jewish array of um, topics. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been following Alma since I was in college, and I feel like you guys cover just so much, and Alma's a really well-rounded source, and I feel like a source that also reinvents itself and evolves in a really rele relevant way, especially as when current events come up. So I wanted to ask you, these past few weeks, a lot has happened. It feels like we're going through history in the making, you know? So what has Alma done or what has Alma published in light of the circumstances? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I think like we, we have continued to adapt and deal with kind of what, what the world gives us. And I think this year, I mean, it first started with the pandemic, with COVID um, and sort of kind of 
shifting a bit of what we were doing. And in some ways, the pandemic, we, we were very well suited to deal with um, how to engage our audience during a pandemic because we do everything online. So there, you know, we didn't have to cancel any big events. We didn't have to, we, we, we were well suited to all be working virtually from home. Um, and it was more a question of like, what does our audience need right now? And so we had a lot of pieces earlier on in the pandemic that were, um, you know, how to make your quarantine as Jewish as possible, you know, tips for like things you could be learning during this time if you find yourself with more time on your hands. Um, you know, we had a, a piece from a rabbi about dealing with anxiety from, from COVID and kind of her wonderful advice for how to deal with that. Um, so, you know, for a while, everything we were doing was sort of like in that lens of, of the pandemic. And then of course, um, these past two weeks, the world has again, completely shifted, rightfully so. And, you know, everybody, um, in our country, but also in the world is now talking about anti-Black racism and anti-racism in general and what, you know, fighting this this fight. And so, I mean, Alma, from the get-go, it's been an incredibly important part of our mission that we are representing the diverse array of Jewish people, of Jewish communities, and that includes Jews of color. Um, and so we've always considered ourselves a platform that really kind of prioritizes uplifting Jews, uh, the voices of Jews of color, and specifically giving them a platform to talk about racism within our own communities, within our own Jewish worlds. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, a lot of other Jewish organizations are a little uncomfortable with, a lot of white Jews are a little uncomfortable with, but we've always felt it's incredibly important to to give Jews of color a platform and like really kind of get at what what they deal with on an everyday basis. And it's been eye-opening for me in that way to, to be reading and sharing their stories. Um, and then now, specifically, it's, you know, it's become, I think for the past two weeks, almost almost every single article we've run has had to do with this moment in some way. So, um, you know, I think right now our focus is really still on amplifying the voices of Jews of color. So we've run a couple of pieces from black Jews um, about, about what they're feeling right now. You know, we ran one piece, I think it was yesterday. Time, time moves so fast and I can't tell what days are anymore. But, um, you know, we ran one piece from a uh, woman named Shakina about how Black Jews are currently grieving and how we as a Jewish community, we have a built-in system of grieving called Shiva and sitting Shiva. And there are certain rules of Shiva that can apply to Black Jews right now. And so she gave kind of some advice about like what white Jews or non-Black Jews can do, which is simply like reaching out to them, letting them know you are there to, to hear their, their pain and their struggles, being a good listener, things like that. Um, and then I guess on the other side of the spectrum, we've also run a number of articles uh, more specifically targeting non-Black Jews about how they can help right now and what they can be doing right now to, to fight um, systemic racism and white supremacy and all of that. So we've had... Um, a guide to talking to your white Jewish parents about Black Lives Matter that I found incredibly helpful. And if, you know, if anyone is kind of struggling to, you know, speak with their parents and get them to maybe better understand what's going on, it's a great starting place. Um, we've had so many pieces. We've had a, um, article that was a short list of Jewish revolts and riots and rebellions throughout history. Um, that was sort of, you know, a, there are a lot of people who are kind of spending this time decrying the writing, rioting and looting going on. And our writer felt it was important to actually show Jewish people that rioting and rebelling is in our history. You know, there's the Warsaw, Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. There's, um, before that, the Bar Kokhba Revolution. There are all these times. There's the story of Hanukkah, the story of Purim, both actually pretty, like, violent stories where Jewish people 
fought back against their oppressors and now we celebrate those as holidays. And so that piece sort of like put a framing around like, um, you know, sometimes in history moments like this happen where you need something bigger than um, a, just a, you know, a simple peaceful protest, not to say like, not to say we're supporting looting or anything, but that this is a part of our history too. Um, Very interesting. And I'm really excited to see how Alma continues to evolve because I think it's a great medium to follow a particular lens on current events. And I appreciate how much work and energy Alma has put to release content that is appropriate and up to date and with the times, if you will. So I want to kind of pivot because you're very humble, but I want to ask you to talk about yourself. <laughs> Tell me, how does one just become the founder and editor of Alma? Walk me through kind of your experience and how you landed in this incredible role. Okay, I will. Um, it's a 10-year story, but I'll try to keep it, uh, keep it tight. Um, but yeah, actually just uh, June 1st of this year was my 10 year anniversary of working where I do sort of. <laughs> so, um, 10 years ago I was in grad school. I have, I come from a writing background. So I was getting an MFA in fiction writing at Sarah Lawrence college. And, um, I, you know, I was planning for my summer in between my first and second year and I, I needed a job that was, I just needed to make money and I didn't really care what I was doing and I wound up, I found um, a listing for an editorial internship for a Jewish parenting website that had not been launched yet. Um, and I applied for it kind of thinking, sure, why not? I, I'm, you know, I wasn't a parent. I'm still not a parent. Um, but I, I did live with two Jewish parents for 18 years. So I felt like maybe I, you know, I knew a little bit about Jewish parenting and, um, that, so I, I got this internship and that was at what eventually, um, became Kfeller.com, which is still around today. It's a Jewish parenting website. Um, and so, yeah, like what I thought was going to be a pretty boring summer internship, uh, I actually really, loved. Um, part of that was I loved my boss, um, whose name was Debbie Colbin, who was the founding editor of Kfeller. Um, and we kind of really jived and had a shared sensibility as far as like the kinds of writing we liked and our visual aesthetics. And so kind of helping her build the website from scratch was very cool because even though I was just an intern, it was, you know, we were part of a really small team. So I actually had a lot of like hands-on involvement and and yeah, and building up a, a, a website, which eventually became a, a real online community, um, mostly of Jewish moms. And so long story, it's kind of short. I, um, you know, I continued working at Feller throughout my last year of grad school. When I graduated, they offered me a full-time editorial assistant position for at Feller. Um, I did that for a year. I was promoted to associate editor. I did that for a year. And then, um, you know, Feller was started by a website called My Jewish Learning. My Jewish Learning merged with a website called the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, um, which is a Jewish newswire service. And sort of those two companies together formed 70 Faces Media. So that's, it was a merger. And when we merged, um, my boss, Debbie, became the editorial director of 70 Faces. And she pulled me into you know, an office one day and said, you're going to be the editor of Kfeller. Um, which was shocking to me kind of still because I wasn't a parent and I felt vastly unqualified and I had a lot of imposter syndrome. But um, she was super supportive and she believed in me. And so I, I became the editor of Kfeller. Um, and I edited Feller for a couple, a couple of years. Um, I can't do, I can't remember how many, but two to three years, let's say. Um, and that's where I really kind of like learned what it means to be an editor, learned what it means to like sh shape a vision for a website, how to host an online community, um, how to find and work with writers 
that you know you admire and that are telling really important stories. Um, and I, I just I loved every bit of the job. Um, and it was just only after a few years of doing that that I felt like okay, I really love this job. There's just one problem, which is that. I don't relate to the content that we are publishing because I'm not a parent. And um, Debbie and I had sort of long, like talked about in like very vague, undefined terms of like, what would it look like if we had a, a new site for younger people? And um, at a certain point, you know, I was having my mid-year review with Debbie and I sort of like broke down in tears and I was like, I, I feel really stuck in this job um, because I love it, but I don't relate to it. And she said like, now's the time to really think about what that site for younger Jewish people could look like. And so she sort of gave me that push and I started doing some research. Um, you know, I found there really wasn't anything else out there like what I was envisioning, which was at the time specifically a site for young Jewish women. Um, and so I spent about a year, I think, editing, still being the editor of Kfeller and also kind of doing the groundwork for what Alma was going to be. Um, and eventually, you know, we got some funding from the UJA Federation of New York to, to launch Alma. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of a great time it was a time when a lot of people in the jewish world were kind of thinking like how do we reach the youth you know like they always are worried about reaching the young people and we had come in with this idea of like how to engage them where they where they already are which is online on social media and so it was um yeah it was a pretty smooth as far as like fundraising and getting it started and it it launched june 20th 2017 so we're almost celebrating our third birthday so I wanted to ask you, there was kind of a pivot where Alma decided that it's actually a community, not just for women, but for Jews. Can you walk me through how you came to that pivot? What was yeah. the new point for Alma? Yeah. So first, I guess I should explain why we originally started as a site for women, which is largely because of um, lessons learned from Kfeller. Mm -hmm. So Kfeller started... Um, as a site for parents and we really wanted to like drive it home that like we were not just for moms We are for parents. We wanted dads involved um, We did a lot of things to try to get more dads to write for us to read us and after like after a bit of time It became clear that like no matter what we did like Feller's audience was 85% women and like that's that's fine. That's great. And we kind of decided to own it and lean into it and start kind of thinking about it more as a site for moms. Um, and I think like one benefit of that too, is that these women were sharing incredibly vulnerable stories. Like there's a lot of vulnerability that comes with parenting with giving birth, um, you know, things like postpartum depression and just lots of like real raw stuff. And we actually found that having a community that was like mostly just women, made that feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more, more like safe and warm. And so when thinking about Alma, I kind of just assumed like, yeah, like, that's what we should do too. And like, of course, you know, like I'm a big feminist, like I love women, like I wanted to really focus on, on that. Um, and then, yeah, about a year and a half into our existence, um, we decided to shift. And it was it was kind of a long time coming and there was a few things going on. For one, um, you know, so our, our, our tagline used to be four ladies with chutzpah. And um, pretty soon, you know, we realized first of all that it's not just women reading Alma. And I don't mean that it was men reading Alma. I mean, it was also non-binary people reading Alma. And, um, you know, every so often I'd get an email like from a trans woman or from a non-binary person who would say like, hey, like, I love your website. I just want to make sure that like I'm allowed to be here because like I saw your tagline and I wasn't sure. And I would always be like, oh, my God, yes, like you are so allowed to be here. Like we really want you here. And that's very important to us. And we realized like the gendered language around the site was turning people away or making people feel uncomfortable being a part of our community because they didn't know if if their gender expression was accepted so that to me was like one of the biggest reasons why i felt like we had to shift 
there was also the fact that there were men reading our site and that there's no reason that anything, you know, to be a feminist site does not mean that only women should read your site. All men should be reading feminist sites. And so um, we sort of, yeah, we, we made the decision to, to drop the language to more, um, to better represent who our actual audience was. And I think that's been like a huge lesson for us along the way is that like, it's a two way street, right? Between like a platform and its audience. And if you're not listening to your audience and allowing yourself to shift along with your audience, then you're not, you're not being a, a good community member. So, um, so yeah, we, we made that announcement and it was, Every like it, we got a great reception from everybody who felt like this was this was the right move, and they were very happy to see us do that. And so I felt really good about that that we could do that for our community. I think it's very on brand. Alma will and continues and will continue to evolve, right? And this is a really great example of how you guys executed on that. So something that you and I had talked about before was that growing up, you had your kind of perception of Judaism, right? You grew up in a very particular family. To you, Judaism meant one thing. And then I said, well, I'm an immigrant from Ukraine. To me, Judaism means something else. And you had pointed out that working at Alma gives you a lot of perspective on Judaism and how it is different community to community. Can you walk us through um, your learnings or what were the takeaways? What surprised you about um, learning the Jewish community and the reader base that you have? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things I'm like most grateful for that I get to do this work because of how much it's opened my eyes to the diversity of the Jewish community. And I don't mean diversity only in in race or sexual identity, though it certainly is that, but also, yeah, in um, levels of observance and and kind of what what it the the very many different ways people um, practice their Judaism. And I use practice loosely so yeah like you said i mean i grew up in the northwest suburbs of chicago um in an area called the north shore where there is a, a lot of jewish people a lot of ashkenazi jewish people i grew up going to a conservative synagogue um you know hebrew school bat mitzvah that whole thing i went to um camp shy in lake delton wisconsin and i feel like um I mean, first of all, so like most of my friends were Jewish. I had, you know, most of my friends I made either at school or at camp or in Hebrew school were all Jewish. And, you know, we were all for the, for the most part white, all for the most part, like upper middle class, pretty affluent communities. Um, and, and yeah, so that was, I mean, before I even, first I, I would say like I, Growing up, I didn't realize that Jews were a minority so much because everybody I knew was Jewish. So like going to college was like, oh, I see. Like, no, I get it. Yeah, there are people here who have, like my freshman year roommate had never met a Jewish person before. It's so like, okay, I, I get it. Um, and, but then with Alma and also with Feller first, but like, I think really with Alma, um, I've just, yeah, I've, I mean, it's definitely been eye-opening to hear the stories from Jews of color. And I, you know, I admit, like, I think, you know, my summer camp, I remember, like, one or two Jews of color in my age group out of, you know, hundreds. And I just was not aware of um, the, the number of Jews of color out there and also the things that they experience in our communities, the places that we consider like safe and warm are not always that way for Jews of color. So that's been incredibly eye-opening to me and infuriating to me and kind of, you know, drives a lot of what, what we do. Um, I've also just, you know, I think growing up being Jewish meant one kind of specific thing where it was like, being like you're either like you go to synagogue and you celebrate the holidays and you do these things or you don't and then you're not really you know like you might be like sort of Jewish but you're not really and I feel like with Alma I've also just learned so many different ways to kind of honor your Jewish culture you know like I'm I'm not observant in any traditional sense I don't keep kosher I don't observe Shabbat um but I've you know, I've, I've found from learning from Alma writers that 
there are so many more like creative ways to explore your Jewish identity. And that could be through culture or it could be through history or it could be through feminism. You know, like a lot of the um, articles that we write around the holidays are like sort of feminist rewritings of, of the things that you learned in Hebrew school. So like, you know, learning that in the Hanukkah story, it's not just Judah the Maccabee. There's this whole other story of Judith who is an amazing heroine in our Torah that, um, like fed an evil king so much cheese and wine that he fell asleep and she beheaded him. Like, that's amazing. And um, I never learned that before. So I think <laughs> like beyond like um, not to glorify violence, but he was very bad. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's been in all of these ways. It's been seeing the diversity of the Jewish community, learning more about Mizrahi traditions, Sephardic traditions, Russian Jewish traditions, um, Black Jewish traditions, all of these things. And also then just seeing the, the very many different ways that people kind of figure out how to make Judaism a part of their life. And with that, I kind of want to talk about your experience, no matter what you've done in life, always comes back to being Jewish, right? Whether it was the community that you grew up in or the work opportunity that you took that led you to where you are now, Judaism has always been there in your path with you. And as somebody that works in the Jewish world, have you seen any challenges running a publication like Alma, given that it is a minority publication, right? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of challenges and many different kinds of challenges. I mean, I think one is for any sort of niche publication like ours, there's just already a limited audience to who you're you're trying to reach right there aren't actually that many jews even if it feels sometimes in new york like everybody's jewish um so there's you know as we kind of like keep trying to grow and expand and like keep you know getting more more viewers to our site more people engaging with us on instagram and stuff it it there's just the challenge of like finding the people that you know that i think would appreciate alma if they knew we existed. And so that's, you know, I think three years on, we're still, you know, always figuring out new ways of sharing our stories of um, seeking out the people who we feel like should be a part of our community. Um, and I think another big challenge um, these days, especially is just a lot of divisiveness within the Jewish community. Um, you know, a lot of political conversations get really tense, I'd say, especially around Israel. Um, and it can be hard to feel like we want to be a place that's inclusive and welcoming of everyone and representing everyone, but also knowing that, of course, like, you know, there's that phrase, two Jews, three opinions. Like, they're, like Jewish people love to fight and argue and don't, often do not agree with each other. And I think, especially in our, like, super highly politicized moment, there's just a lot of tension in the air and a lot of um, a lot of infighting in the Jewish community, and so I think I think that's a that that's definitely a challenge as well for us. So now I want to do a complete one hundred and eighty and ask you, what is then the most exciting part about creating a space that's for Jews? And there are so many interesting people that have written for Alma, and so many really cool people featured. Is there anyone that sticks out to you, someone that you really enjoyed working with or something really exciting about what you do? Um, there's been so many exciting moments. It's really, it's, I mean, just the fact, like this little idea of mine that I, you know, I had a few years ago is now this like fully fledged thing. We just, we have, um, I think 38,000 followers on Instagram. Like that's, in, that's just, that's, crazy to me. That's wild that that many people, you know, like I, I felt like this is something that I, I think I would enjoy, but I don't know if anybody else will. And like, clearly other people do. So that's, I mean, I know that's like a very vague, broad answer, but that's been incredibly exciting. Um, there definitely have been big moments. Like um, we got to interview Tiffany Haddish and that was incredible. Um, we interviewed her around the release of her special black mitzvah um, and talk about her bat mitzvah and her black and Jewish identities um and you know i i think we were like buzzing for weeks over over that it was just she was so amazing and we just like couldn't believe that we actually got to like interview her on our like little you know i, I think we still consider ourselves kind of a of a small publication so 
Um, there have been like big celebrity moments like that. You know, we've interviewed Nick Kroll. Um, I don't know, lots of lots of celebrities and people that I that I admire. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I, I really think more than any like one one moment or one person or one article, it's really like the Alma community itself that excites me the most, the way that it sort of has become its own thing. And I know, you know, I've heard amazing stories that people have made friends through Alma. Um, I've made friends through Alma, you know, I've made so many friends through Alma, like real, real people I've like actually sat down and had, you know, a meal with and, and text with. And so um, I think, yeah, learning, seeing kind of how like even an online community can have like real in real life impact has been very exciting to me. And let's hope that we're able to bring that real life impact. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. In the meantime, we've got like the virtual community down. So awesome. Okay. So then I kind of want to pivot because we haven't really gotten a chance to hear about your life outside of Alma. Tell me a little bit about what is your life like outside of Alma? What are your hobbies? How do you stay creative, especially in a field where you have to think of new ideas all the time? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I come from a writing background, specifically fiction. Um, I have two degrees in fiction, which is really dumb, but um, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> it's worked out well, I guess. <laughs> um, so write, writing is still like my, my number one Thing. I am a writer first and foremost, more than anything else. Um, I've been writing short stories for like over 15 years. I've more recently been attempting a novel. It's very hard. Um, but uh, so yeah, I mean, right now, my life outside of Alma, especially because like I'm not going, there's not really anywhere to go. I live in Brooklyn with my boyfriend. Um, so, you know, after work, it's, it's a lot of um, if I can find the energy and motivation to write, I try to write for like an hour every day. It definitely doesn't happen, especially um, when work is incredibly stressful or busy. It, it gets really hard to then continue to be creative outside of work. So that's definitely been an ongoing struggle for me is like figuring out how to write with, with a full-time job. Um, but yeah, and then other we'll say you've had a little debut on Twitter where you had a tweet that went viral actually about living with your boyfriend. Could you please tell me the tweet that you had tweeted? Oh man, I that I did not expect this to go viral, but um It was hilarious. <laughs> so this was like pretty pretty early on in the pandemic. Um both me and my boyfriend were lucky enough that we have jobs where we could start working from home um completely. So we, um, you know, now have a little office. That's our office where we're both at our desks working. And my tweet was something along the lines of um, like a pro tip for couples that are suddenly working from home together. Find, get yourself an imaginary coworker that you can blame things on. So in our house, we've been um, complaining about Cheryl because she leaves our, the water cups all over and we don't know what to do with her. So basically the idea was like, come up with a fake person that like you can blame things on so that you don't get upset with each other. And it, I, I really, I don't know exactly how it happens, but it, it went like very viral. Um, to the, I still get tagged in like Instagram accounts that are like still like tweeting it on their backgrounds. Like that happened just yesterday. This was like two months ago. Um, I was invited to be on the Dr. Phil show, which I turned down because what? Why? Because Dr. Phil's terrible. Um, I don't. I don't support Dr. Phil. So it was my pleasure to turn him down. <laughs> I felt like that was a life achievement of mine. What, what did they want? They wanted to inquire about your relationship. <laughs> they were like, we we're doing a segment about couples working from home, and we wondered if you can like video chat in to talk about your tweet. Were they gonna yeah. pay you? If they would have paid you. I mean, I don't know. I didn't ask because I just said no. <laughs> um, but I did. I was like interviewed. Like I talked to like a Washington Post reporter about it. Like it, yeah, it, I got a lot of like random like messages from people in my past, you know, like people I haven't heard from since high school and, and things like that. Just being like, oh my God, I saw your tweet. It was, it was very weird, but kind of exciting. That is amazing. Wow. Okay. So. 
I want to wrap up with a question that I ask every speaker and then we'll turn it over to audience Q&A. And thank you to everybody that uh, has submitted questions. Please submit more. I ask you, this is what makes these things interesting because I haven't thought of a lot of these things myself. So it's really exciting to have good audience Q&A. The last question I want to ask you is, what advice do you have for women dealing with the world as it is today? I mean, the world as it is today is very complicated and tricky, and I'm not sure if any of the things that have led to my success even apply anymore. Just putting that out there, I know it's like an incredibly hard time to find a job, to, to just like kind of make a living. Um, I think like previously to this, my, I think my big takeaway as far as my career is like um, to say yes to things that maybe aren't exactly what you think you want to do. Um, I never, you know, like when I took that internship for a Jewish parenting website, like it was mostly out of desperation. Like I needed, I needed a job of some sort and it turned out to be, I mean, it, it got me here and it, it launched my career, which I love. And I think, um, you know, especially young people are really looking for a job that like really speaks to them and will get, you know, allow them to do everything that they, you know, they've been in training to do. And like, I think absolutely yes, like try to find those jobs that you're passionate about, but sometimes you don't actually know what you'll be passionate about until you do it. Um, like when I was in grad school, I really thought I was going to work in publishing and I took an internship in publishing before the one at Feller and I, I learned I actually did not really care for publishing and I, I didn't think I wanted to do that. And so I think also being, being open and not being so stuck on like this one particular job, but being open to the opportunities that you do come across and you, you just never know, you know, where they'll, where they'll lead. So. I think that's great advice. Okay, without further ado, let's turn it over to the Q&A. The first question is from Anna, and that's, this is the question I was referring to that I had on my list. What does Alma mean, and where did the inspiration for the name come from? Great question. So, like I said earlier, my initial um, vision for Alma was that we were going to be a site for Jewish millennial women. I was thinking like specifically ages like 22 to 35. Um, so after, you know, a, a couple months of brainstorming about what the website would be, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I need a name for this. So I sat down and I just started Googling. I am, I'm not a fluent Hebrew speaker by any means. I learned a couple of words in Hebrew school. But so I just first started my first Google search was Hebrew word for woman. And I, um, you know, I think and I'm sure there's like, there's other words for like other modern words for women. But I, I think I actually I searched Hebrew word for young women. And um, I soon came across the word Alma, which in Hebrew means a woman of childbearing age who does not have kids yet. Um, and I, I saw that and I was like, that's like strangely specific, but also exactly the kind, like the audience I'm going for, right? Cause like we had Feller for parents and we were looking for like that in between like post-college, pre-super adult family life. And so I found that word and I, I just kind of like, couldn't believe that a word like that existed. And I also just like, I loved, the name, the sound, um, it also means soul in Spanish, which is nice. And um, yeah, my, like what I thought was gonna be like a very long process of choosing the perfect name came down to a 10 minute Google search. And I just knew that was, that was it. And everybody else, you know, at my company was on board. So it was a very easy process. That is amazing. Okay, the next is actually a comment, not a question from Ciara. And she wrote, I'm very impressed with you, Molly. Thanks for activating our Jewish community to welcome diverse viewpoints and expansion. We are such a tight-knit Jewish community and having insight from you and yours makes us all better. I'm so proud to be Jewish when I meet people like you. I love being Jewish. Thank you. Two Jews, three opinions. That's a new one for me. And I appreciate you sharing that you're so right. This is totally a challenge for us with reference to getting in fights over things. Thank you for sharing these comments and sharing this information. Thank you, Sierra. That is a very thank you, nice Sierra. Question. That's so nice. I I really am glad to hear that. Thank you. Okay. So the next question is from Julia, and it is: What are your goals for the future of Alma? What kind of content do you want to create in the future? 
That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think our, our number one goal is, I mean, always to just continue to expand, like I said before, like trying to reach everybody out there who we think, you know, would appreciate us. Um, and I think also though with expanding and growing, we also want to be mindful that we still stay true to who we are. And so sometimes, you know, a site can kind of get bigger and, and lose some of its personality and some of its, you know, the specific little quirks that make it what it is. And so I think maintaining our, our vision, our tone, our voice while finding, you know, a bigger audience is a goal. And I think continuing to stay relevant, I think, you know, continuing to listen to our audience, to take in the world around us, to see what people need. Um, you know, one thing I didn't mention before, as far as like the coverage we've been doing these past two weeks is, um, you know, like on Monday morning, June 1st, one of the first things we did was post in our Instagram story, like, hi friends, like there's a lot going on. What do you want from us right now? What kinds of stories do you want to, and we, we constantly do that. We ask our audience what, what they want, and then we try to deliver it as best as we can. So I think, um, yeah, just con continuing to check in with our audience, continuing to shift however we need to shift to, to um, speak to the, to the moment that we're in. And I, you know, I think like also hopefully maybe doing more, more fun things like we've talked about, you know, if Alma had a podcast, what would that be like? And doing more, we do videos, we have an amazing video team, but doing more, more videos, more, um, yeah, just more fun, interactive things like that. I think as someone who works in media, the fragmentation of content is so overwhelming, but sites and communities that really know what they're true to and know how to bring people together, they never go away. And I really hope that that's the case for all mine. I think you guys are on the right path to get there for sure. So the next question is from Sasha and Sasha was last week's speaker. Thank you, Sasha, for your question. What have been the best ways to get the word out about Alma? Did anything surprise you? Um, that's a great question. I think kind of from the get-go, um, we assumed the best way to find this particular demographic of young people was through social media um, and specifically through Instagram. And that has, that has been the case for us. Our Instagram um, page has just seen like explosive growth over the past couple of years. And I think that continues to be the way that we find new people and the things that we share on Instagram, like we share, you know, like things that are related to the stories on our website, but we also, you know, come up with a lot of memes and jokes and we share a lot of funny tweets and things and it has a lot of humor to it. And I think finding people through humor is a very Jewish thing <laughs> to do. And um, so I, you know, I think it's a lot of, you know, we put up a funny joke about whatever, about eating too much challah or something that's not funny. I promise we're funnier um, than that. And somebody tags their friend like, oh my God, this is so us. And now their friend, you know, it's kind of been word of mouth through social media, I'd say is our biggest way of finding new people. Um, has anything surprised us is a good question. I mean, I've definitely seen you know like we're, you know we're on Facebook too we don't have a super it's not a huge page on Facebook um fan on Facebook oh uh, well thank I'm you <laughs> um I mean but but one thing that we have found is like the I think a lot of young people um well first of all I think a lot of young people are not spending a ton of time on Facebook anymore but I think where they are spending time there is in groups specifically as opposed to like following certain pages so we started a Facebook group that everybody on here I hope you you join if you want it's called Alma Pals and it's it's just that it's a group for people who are fans of Alma who want to talk and interact and I it's been a really nice nice place that continues to grow and people you know post questions or looking for advice or just wanting to rant or just wanting to share an article or let people know about something. And so um, that's, I, I've been really happy to see, to see that little mini community form as well. Um, but yeah, and then sometimes we get emails from people that are like, you know, from somebody my age who's like, my dad sent me an Alma article and then I discovered you guys and you are great. And like, that's surprising. I don't know how your dad found us, but I'm glad he did. Um, so you never, you never know how people will, will get to you, but we love them wherever they come from. 
That is surprising. And that is a great answer <laughs> to that question. You had a very fitting story. <laughs> okay. So the next question comes from Molly. And she wrote, I think you've already touched on this, but how are you evolving Alma with the times? Will you be adding more diverse writers to your team, for example? Yeah, so I did touch on that a bit before, but yes, totally. I mean, one of the things as an editor I'm constantly doing every day is looking for more diverse writers. Um, you know, we have a good number of Jews of color who write for us already. And just, I mean, in the past two weeks, I'd say I've, um, have reached out or been reached out to by like uh, many, many more Jews of color who want to write for us. So we will be continuing to, to seek out their voices, to bring them into the fold. Um, and that's, that's been the case for a while now, even before this moment, that's always been really important to us. Um, and yeah, I think it, it, it comes down to not just to the, you know, the writers that we have writing for us, but the, like the memes that we're sharing on Instagram, the people that we're interviewing, you know, we do a lot of interviews with up and coming musicians or with um, actors and, you know, making sure that the people that we're interviewing are, um, represent the diverse array of, of Jewish people as well. So I, yeah, like the answer is always yes, always wanting to, always seeking out more diverse voices. And something that Alma does is they actually accept submissions from anybody that emails to their submissions email. So if there are people of color or Jewish people of color that want to submit their articles or their ideas, they easily can and they'll be picked up by Alma if they're chosen. So that's a really great opportunity to increase diversity, which I'm sure you guys already consider. And it's a, just a great initiative that you take. The next question comes from Gemma. And I think you touched on this, but maybe you can give us a spoiler or something. Is there a Hey Alma podcast in the works? Yeah, I mean, the it's something we've thought about and talked about a lot um, and something we were close to maybe getting to the point of figuring out how to do right before the pandemic started. And then that kind of um, shut down some of those conversations. We've gotten, I've gotten a lot of emails from people asking for an Alma podcast. I know there is a demand out there. I think, you know, we, we're totally open to it. Um, it's a lot of work. Uh, and that's, you know, Soak Feller, the parenting site that, you know, we're still a part of the same company as they um, released a season of a podcast called Call Your Mother that was really amazing, but it was a lot of work and, and money and resources. And we're a small nonprofit company. We don't have a lot of any of those things. So I think it, you know, it still comes down to like, do we have the resources to make this a high quality thing? And, and what exactly would that podcast be? But I'd say the answer is like, yes, definitely possible. Um, we just have to have to find the right moment and the right, um, format and hopefully the right funding to make it work. I'm sorry to interject my own question, but it's very quick. Is there a place to donate to Alma since it's a nonprofit? There is. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't like talk about it a lot, but Alma is a nonprofit and you can absolutely donate to us. You'll you'd be donating to 70 faces media, which runs Alma and Feller and the Jewish telegraphic agency and the Nosher, which is an awesome food site. Thanks, because I didn't know, for example, that there was a way to donate. So that's really helpful. So the last question comes from Katya. Sorry, Katya, to steal your thunder for a minute there. How do we navigate the millennial or maybe universal desire to balance wanting to be an adult and have some sort of material stability with a desire of doing work we are passionate about every day? Katya, that is, that is a very good question, and I don't know if I'm qualified to answer it. Sorry, I just want uh, to like your personal take. Nice to meet you, by the way. Um, Longtime reader and fan. Um, I don't expect you to have, like, the answer. I guess it's just, like, is that something that you feel? And if so, like, what is your practice of trying to achieve that balance? Yeah, I mean, I feel like some, you know, sometimes I think it's just luck. Um, and then people tell me like, no, it's not just luck. Like you worked for this, but I do feel like I was lucky and that, you know, like I said, like my passion is writing and that's, you know, I always wanted to do something with writing and that is not an easy thing to make money from. And I feel like I, um, you know, like 10 years ago, I, 
I took this internship that maybe wasn't the exact kind of writing that I wanted to do, but it was somehow writing related. And it allowed me, you know, to actually to figure out what I really wanted to do and what I do feel passionate about. So I think like kind of like what I was saying before, like having your your vision and your passion, but like widening your idea of maybe like what work looks like under that could be helpful. So, you know, like, yeah, I think if I said like, I will only, you know, I want to write fiction for a living, or I only want to, you know, do this one particular thing, I don't think I would have been where I am, because it's just really hard to like, limit yourself in that way. Um, but yeah, I don't know, at the same time, like I, you know, I have a lot of friends who I went to grad school with who are still struggling to make ends meet, who, you know, have gone down the teaching path and are adjunct professors and making not a livable wage off of that. And it's really, it's, it's really difficult. And I, you know, I think like, especially for artistic people, there's kind of always like two paths, right? Like you can try to like, just get a boring desk job and do your art on the side. And a lot of people do that and make it work and that's great. Or you could try to find, even if it is a boring desk job or a desk job, try to find something that has at least some connection to what you care about doing so that you're at least, you know, maybe it's not completely your, your you know, number one passion, but it's giving you some sort of like fulfillment in that area. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's a great answer. Yeah. Just be good. flexible and, yeah. and uh, know that everything isn't going to turn out a hundred percent how you envisioned it, but sometimes better or sometimes totally. just different. So. Yeah, totally. Thank you Katya for this question. It is a fantastic question. And I think it'll resonate with a lot of young people, myself included. And with that, that was the last question uh, we've come to an end. It's been a crazy five weeks and it's been a huge privilege to host this series. It's been incredible to see all of the people that are willing to tune in every Thursday night and listen to me go on and on asking questions. It means so much. And hearing these incredible stories from all of these women who have such unique backgrounds and something so awesome to share, it really rocks. So before I kind of close off, Molly, do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd like to leave us with? You've already shared so much with us and thank you for that. Um, yeah, just, I want to thank everybody for being here, for listening, for your amazing questions and comments. Um, I'm super easy to reach and I love, you know, hearing from people and I don't ever mind getting emails. I'm Molly at HeyAlma.com. I'm, you know, Molly Tolsky on Twitter and Instagram. Find me, follow me. Like I, I, um, I like to make new friends. So, um, and yeah, join our Facebook group, follow us on Instagram. Hey, it's Instagram is Hey.Alma. Um, that's where we do a lot of fun stuff. So, um, yeah, just thank you. Thank you all for being here. And thank you, Margarita. This has been really a joy to speak with you.